It has long been said that a picture is worth a thousand words. Whoever coined that phrase must have understood that we think in pictures and not in words. Take, for example, if I were to ask you to consider a tree. Some of you may visualize that oak tree that grows in your front yard. Others of you may uh, think back about the apple tree that you and your cousin used to climb, located in the backyard of your grandparents' farmhouse. But regardless, when I ask you to consider a tree, I dare say that not any of you thought the letters T-R-E-E. We don't think in words. We think in pictures. The best communicators understand this, so they use their words to paint a portrait so that we can literally see what they're saying. I'm convinced that Jesus was a masterful communicator. Words were like a brushstroke against the canvas of our minds. This morning, we continue our sermon series entitled, I Am, as we examine the seven messianic metaphors found in John's gospel. Today, Jesus paints for us a beautiful portrait when he declares his third I am statement. I ask for you to take your Bible and turn to the gospel according to John chapter 10. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. John chapter 10, I'll begin at verse 1, I'll conclude at verse 10. I'll tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger in fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus said this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, the preaching, the understanding, and the obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. Throughout the Bible, there are over 400 references to sheep. And many times, those occurrences compare you and me, the people of God, to sheep. Now, out of all the animals in the world, why does God compare us to sheep? Why not the regal royalty of a lion or the brute strength of an elephant? Why doesn't he compare us to the profound wisdom of an owl or, or maybe even the sheer splendor of a soaring eagle? Why does he compare us to sheep? And the answer is because it's an accurate analogy. Sheep are dumb, and they're weak, and they're vulnerable, and they're easily lost, and so are we. 
And I know that some of you are thinking right now, but wait a minute, I'm pretty smart, and you are smart for a sheep. Others of you are thinking, I'm tough, and you are tough for a sheep. And still others are thinking, now wait a minute, I'm somebody important, and you are somebody important for a sheep. But you and I are like sheep. Sheep are fragile, and so are we. COVID-19 has rudely reminded us of the fragility of humanity. You know, it was just three weeks ago that we were told that we had a robust, strong economy. We were told that the economy was bigger and better than really ever in American history and maybe even world history. And in less than 21 days, that economy has come to a screeching halt, teetering on a depression. It was a little more than three weeks ago that we were having medical advances on a normal basis that would baffle the mind. And yet here we are, just a couple of weeks later, and nobody can seem to crack the coronavirus code. And all of us seem to be susceptible to it. All of that just reminds us in stark contrast that we are not as strong or as smart or as mighty or as winsome as we once thought. We are like sheep. We are fragile. We're vulnerable. We're helpless. We easily go astray. We oftentimes get lost. Do you know what a sheep needs more than anything else? A sheep needs a shepherd. Do you know what you need more than anything else? You need a shepherd. The Bible is stuffed with shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were all shepherds. Moses and David, they were shepherds too. But the Bible makes it abundantly clear that there is one shepherd greater than all the rest. And he's God. In fact, the psalmist says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't want for anything. All throughout John chapter 10, Jesus compares himself and calls himself that good shepherd. I realize that identity is not found on the lips of Jesus until verse 11, but all throughout the 42 verses of John chapter 10, Jesus is identifying himself as that good shepherd. In fact, he boldly and epically says in verse 30, that I and the Father are one. Throughout our passage, Jesus is comparing himself as the good shepherd to all the bad shepherds because Jesus understood that the best analogy, the best illustration to describe how God wants to relate to you is that personal, intimate relationship between a shepherd and his sheep. Let me tell you from the very outset, do you know what Jesus wants for you today? Jesus wants you to know him personally and to follow him passionately. That's what Jesus wants. Jesus desires for you, my friend, to know him personally and to follow him passionately. So Jesus begins our passage in a very chaotic way. He describes a very hostile situation. The man who does not enter through the gate but enters the sheep pen by some other way is a thief and a robber. Jesus is sounding the alarm. 
He is describing a scenario that would be a nightmare for any and all shepherds. Now, in the context of Jesus, the imagery of shepherding didn't need to be described. I mean, everybody knows what it is to be a shepherd. They, they knew this was a common trade in the first century. But I dare say that not very many of you herd sheep. Probably you don't have very many sheep running around in your backyard or your front yard. So it may do well for us just to think just a moment about this task of shepherding. I understand that sometimes the Bible describes shepherds as being in the flock, uh, being in the fields watching their flocks at night. And that is one description of how shepherds would interact with their sheep. Sometimes they would go out into the field 24-7. They would watch them uh, throughout the hours of the day and even into the hours of the night. But that was for a season. That was for a time. That wasn't the norm. Normally, after a long day of guiding the sheep to graze from one pasture to the next, a very weary, tired shepherd would bring his sheep back into the shared sheep pen of the village. Every village, every community had a shared sheep pen. And every night, the various shepherds that were located in that village, they would bring their sheep and they would allow them to pass through the gate one by one into the sheep pen. The sheep pen was a a structure. It was uh, built of wood or maybe up against some rocks. On top of it were usually some intertwined vines. The only way into that sheep pen was through a very small, narrow gate. Or you might say a door. The shepherds would come. They would bring their sheep. They would examine them. They would allow them to go in. And then collectively, the shepherds would hire the services of a gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper, he kept the night watch. He watched them through the hours of the evening. And then the next morning... When the shepherds would come, only the shepherds would be permitted and allowed by the gatekeeper to go into the sheep pen, and the shepherds would call their own sheep by name. Maybe they would have a a certain whistle or a certain song, or maybe literally they called them by name. And the sheep, as dumb creatures as they are, they recognized the voice of their shepherd, and they would follow that shepherd. The shepherd would lead them out through that narrow gate, one one sheep at a time, and then they would go for another day of grazing in the field. This is a common analogy of shepherding. And when Jesus speaks in verse 1, he speaks of the nightmare that there is someone who comes in, not through the gate. So he's not one of the legitimate, true, good shepherds. He is not a good shepherd. He's a bad shepherd. Jesus calls him a thief and a robber. The word thief is a word that means somebody takes something that doesn't belong to them. From the Greek word, we get the English word kleptomaniac. It's somebody who has a habit of taking something that doesn't belong to them. A robber does the same thing that a thief does, except a robber does it with violence. And Jesus says the bad shepherds, they don't come in through the gate. No, the bad shepherds are like thieves and robbers. It's really quite tragic that the story of John chapter 9 is severed and separated from John chapter 10. It's separated because of a chapter break. But the reality is, uh, Jesus uses that story 
to compare himself to the bad shepherds because bad shepherding is on display in vivid color for anybody to see as they read through John chapter nine. John chapter nine tells us that Jesus and the disciples uh, met a man who was born blind. The disciples asked the question, Master, which one sinned, this man or his parents, that this man was born blind? And Jesus' response is epic. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this was permitted to happen so that the work of God might be on display in his life. The answer of Jesus is startling. Because in those days, it was believed that any and all suffering could be traced back to somebody's sin. So the mere fact that that man was born blind, the disciples automatically assumed somebody messed up. Somebody sinned. Who was it? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus' response is that, you know what? It rains on the just and the unjust. Sometimes bad things happen. And it's not because of anybody's to blame. Sometimes bad things just happen. But even when bad things happen, God permits it to take place so that his glory may be revealed. That's a good message for us today. You know, uh, anytime something bad happens in our nation or our world, we want to point fingers. Who's to blame? Whose fault is it? And the reality is we may never discern and decide whose fault it is for this coronavirus. But let me give you a word of caution. When the remedy comes, and it will, when the solution is on the horizon, and it will come, there will be a long line of people to claim credit for it. It may be the French, maybe the Americans, maybe be those Chinese It'll be somebody or a group of people or a long line of people who will say, we're the reason why COVID-19 is is no longer a global pandemic. Oh, but my friend, can I just encourage you that when that day comes, you acknowledge that the only reason there's a remedy that's come is because of God and his work on display so that he may receive all glory, all worship, all honor. God is still in charge of this world. God has a solution. God has a remedy. And God is the one who gets the credit for all the good that happens in this world. Jesus says the reason this happened to this poor blind man is so that God might get the credit. And in that story, Jesus concocts an eye ointment. It's really rather crude the way he does it. He just grabs some dirt from the ground and takes holy spit and makes an ointment out of it. Literally, Jesus hocked a loogie and he made mud out of that dirt. He plastered it on the blind man's eyes, told him to go to the pool of Siloam to wash. Then he'd be able to see. And the blind man went in obedience. He went to the pool of Siloam. He washed and he could see. He went back about his normal daily business. And his neighbors said, hey, is that the man who was born blind and used to sit and beg? Some neighbors said, that's him. But I don't know. Something's happened to him because now he can see. Others said, no, that's not him. He just, it just looks like him. And the blind man said, no, it's me. And they asked the question, what happened? In verse 11, Of John 9, he simply says, the man named Jesus put some mud on my eyes, told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. I did, and now I can see. 
those neighbors took that man to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are bad shepherds. The Pharisees are thieves and robbers. They interrogate the man. Please tell us, um, how did this happen? Because it cannot be anybody from God because this took place on the Sabbath and no godly person would do a mighty miracle on the Sabbath day. And in verse 17, the blind man who now has his sight simply says, well, it was a prophet. And the Pharisees were outraged. How dare this man call the miracle worker a prophet? They summoned his parents. They asked the question, is this your son? Was he born blind? Then how can he now see? And his parents, who were afraid, John tells us, because the Jews had already said, anybody who claims Jesus to be Christ will be kicked out, put out of the synagogue. And out of fear of being put out of that religious structure of their day, the parents were afraid. They said, we can testify, that's our boy. We can testify that he was born blind, but how he can now see he's of age, why don't you just ask him? For a second time, they interrogated the man. Tell us again, how is it that you can now see? Whoever did this to you must be a sinner. Oh, in verse 17 and 18, The man who used to be blind simply said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But this much I can tell you, I was blind, but now I can see. Why do you keep asking about this? Do you want to be one of his followers too? And with that, the Pharisees, those bad shepherds, they were outraged. They put him out, kicked him out of the synagogue. Jesus heard about this. By this time, the man has a large following. Many people, some Pharisees, some people from the, from the neighborhood, the village streets, they're all around him. And he comes and Jesus finds him. Keep in mind that this man's never seen the face of Jesus before. Because the first time he was able to see was when he had followed the instructions of Jesus to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So Jesus approaches him and says, do you believe in the son of man? And the man who once was blind said, if you tell me who the son of man is, I will believe. And Jesus said, the one who's standing in front of you is he. And then in verse 38, this one who had uh, blindness removed from him and now he could see. He said, Lord, I believe. And he fell down and worshiped him. Do you see how the faith of this man intensified? Verse 11, he just says, Jesus is the man named Jesus. In verse 17, He elevates him to prophet status. Then in verse 25, he gives his own testimony. In verse 25, he says, I was blind, but now I see. In verse 38, he declares, you are Lord, I believe, and I worship you. Jesus says, the reason I came was so that the blind might see. And so to those who see that they might become blind. At the end of John chapter 9, the Pharisees hear what Jesus says. And they said, what? Are you saying that we are blind? Are you saying that we have no spiritual sight? Are you accusing us of being a bad shepherd? Jesus says, what I'm accusing you of is being a thief and a robber. 
Because you're the type of people that do not go in through the narrow gate. No, you go in to fleece the sheep. You go in and you climb in because you have devilish schemes. You just want to get out of the sheep what you can get out of the sheep. Their wool, their money, their meat, their goods. You don't care about them. You just care about what you can get from them. You are a thief. You are a robber. You are a bad shepherd. And all the while, Jesus is comparing himself to them. They are bad shepherds. He is the good shepherd. Verse 2 and following, Jesus says, Oh, but the shepherd who goes through the gate calls his own sheep by name. They listen to him. He leads them out of the sheep pen. He enables them to find pasture. They listen to his voice, never the voice of a stranger, because that voice they do not recognize. Friend, let me just remind you, the reason Jesus tells this story is because he wants you to know him personally and to follow him passionately. You're a sheep in need of a shepherd, and the only shepherd is Lord Jesus. And Jesus is that good shepherd and you are the sheep how do you know if you're following Jesus how do you know if you are one of his sheep well just look at the verses verses two three four and five if you're a good sheep then you listen to his voice now you may be sitting there thinking oh wait a minute preacher are you telling me that Jesus speaks to you yes I am telling you that Jesus speaks to me But how does he speak to you? Every time I read the word of God. Now, preacher, are you saying that you've heard an audible voice of God's word? Yes, I've heard an audible voice every time I read the Bible out loud. Every time I read God's word out loud, I hear the word of God. God speaks to us through his word. This word is pure and perfect. This word is not adulterated. This word is the very true word of God without any mixture of error in it. It is God's word and through God's word. God speaks to his sheep. Oh, God uses the preaching of his word. God speaks to you through prayer. God speaks to you through wise counsel of other individuals. You know you are a sheep of Christ if you listen to his voice. Because, friend, I want you to know he calls you by name. It's so personal, it's so intimate. That Jesus, as the shepherd, he knows you exhaustively well. He calls you by name. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows how you are. He knows your fears right now. He knows your feelings in this moment. He knows what keeps you up at night in the midst of this coronavirus. He knows everything. He calls you by name and you follow him. You follow his voice. He leads you out to find green pasture. Sheep are not driven like cattle. They're not commanded like soldiers. Sheep have to be led. And Jesus, the good shepherd, leads and we follow him. Where he goes, we go. If he turns right, we turn right. If he turns left, we turn left. If he stops, we stop. Because as he leads, we follow. And we do not follow the voice of a stranger. No, we we know the voice of our shepherd. Once again, this imagery is the best imagery because there was a great deal of loyalty that was developed between the sheep and the shepherd, the shepherd and his sheep. 
every night as the shepherd brought in his sheep before permitting them to go into the shared sheep pen, every shepherd would personally examine his sheep one by one. He would look for any bumps or bruises. He would look for any blemishes. He would use the rod, the rod that earlier in the day had beaten off the wolves and the wild animals. He would use that rod and he would examine the sheep from front to back, from top to bottom. And that sheep knew that was his shepherd. And once examined, he would permit the sheep to go in. But they would only go in one by one. They couldn't go with their buddies. They had to stay in line one by one. And that rod would make sure that everybody stayed in place. In Ezekiel chapter 20, it is the Lord who describes himself as that good shepherd. And in Ezekiel chapter 20, it is the Lord who says, once I have examined you, I will permit you to pass under my rod into my covenant. Oh, my friend, that's a beautiful picture of shepherding. That God examines us one by one. And by his grace and by his goodness, he permits us to go in. In verse 6, it says that the people didn't understand the illustration, the analogy. So Jesus, like a good shepherd, he was very compassionate. He gave another picture. He continued to paint the portrait. In verse 7, he says, I am the gate. I am the gate. This is the third of seven messianic metaphors. When Jesus says, I am... He is speaking divine rhetoric. He's not claiming to be like God or, or another God or a lesser God. He is claiming to be God. He's saying, I and the Father are one. I am the gate. Not just a gate. Not just one of many gates. I am the gate. I am the narrow door. I am the narrow way unto life. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. This passage is about salvation. Jesus tells us right there. This is a picture about salvation. How is a person saved? Well, if sheep need a shepherd, then you need a shepherd. You need a savior. And the only savior that's ever come that's sufficient for the salvation of the world is Jesus. You desperately need to know him personally and follow him passionately. Jesus declares, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. As we think about the sheep pen, there are many uh, possibilities, some suggestions of what the sheep, sheep pen could be. Some have said that it's the church. Others have said it's heaven. I don't think it's either one of those. Because Jesus, he says, I came to call my own out of the sheep pen. And Jesus doesn't call us out of the church and Jesus doesn't call us out of heaven. No, in the strictest sense, I think what he's saying is that sheep pen represents Judaism. And Jesus came uh, into Israel to call out the remnant, to call out his own. Because in verse 16, he will say, I have other sheep from other pens that belong to me. Once again, that other sheep from other pens, that, that's us. That's us Gentiles. And once again, the origin of this idea that Jesus is the good shepherd finds its place in Ezekiel 34, when there the Lord says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. The Lord has said, I'm going to send one shepherd for Jew and Gentile for the entire world. Who will this shepherd be? 
Ezekiel says, it'll be my servant David. What's interesting is that David lived hundreds of years before Ezekiel. Ezekiel's looking forward to the future and describing the Messiah to come. So who is the Messiah? This one of the line and lineage of David. This one who came to fulfill all the messianic promises that are given in the Old Testament. The only one who can stand up and fulfill all of them is Jesus himself. Jesus is declaring, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the one through whom you have eternal life. I am the gate. Whoever comes through me will be saved. Through me, you'll go in and out unto good pasture. There's a picture of freedom. Freedom, not not worried about the wolves, not worried about the thieves and robbers, not worried about the bad shepherds. Because if Jesus is your shepherd, there's nothing of eternal consequence that can happen to you. Let me say that again, that if Jesus is your shepherd, Nothing can be taken from you. No no eternal life can be stolen from you because you belong to him. He is your shepherd. You are his sheep. Jesus says, I am the gate. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Who's the thief? Well, in the strictest sense, that thief um, are bad shepherds the Pharisees, the Sadducees. But ultimately, the thief is the devil. And the reason the devil roams this world is to steal and kill and destroy. That word kill literally means to slaughter. Once again, every person in the first century, they knew the stories of how robbers would come into the shared sheep pen, realizing that those sheep wouldn't follow them, they would slit their throats. And then they would take those dead animals And throw them over the wall. Because all they wanted was the wool and the meat. They didn't care about the sheep. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I came so that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came not just to Israel. But that sheep pen ultimately can be understood as the world. Jesus came into this world to call out the redeemed, to call out the remnant, to to give life unto those who are spiritually dead. Jesus came to give life more abundant and free. This word life is the Greek word zoe. There are a couple of words that are translated as life, and one of the words is bio, from which we get the English understanding of biology, It's life in its general sense, that that all of us who are living and breathing, we have life. Oh, but Jesus uses a specific word, zoe. Usually zoe, life, is connected to eternal, eternal life, life without end. This zoe life is life that is not just quantitative in time and years, but it's qualitative in its goodness. So that Jesus came to give Zoe life, eternal life. And let me ask you, friend, can you ever lose eternal life? The answer is no. It's a resounding no. Because if you could lose eternal life, it wouldn't be eternal, would it? It is eternal life. It is Zoe life. It is life that is abundant and free. That word abundant or to, the, to its full. 
it means that it is over the top. It is off the charts. It is amazingly good that you can't even comprehend or fathom just how good the life with Jesus is. Friend, there are some individuals in this world who make theological exceptions that the Bible would never make. There are people who say that when it comes to salvation, all you have to do is be a good person. And if you do more good than bad, it'll tip the scales in your favor and God will be obligated to let you into his heaven. But friends, salvation is not earned by works. Salvation is by grace. In our passage, the only way anybody is saved is by knowing the shepherd personally and following him passionately. There are others who make exceptions that the Bible would never make. They say, well, as long as you believe and you're convinced by it. Oh, but friend, you can be convincingly wrong. Others will say, well, there's so much diversity. There's so many different religions, so many different gods. It sounds pretty narrow-minded, preacher, for you to say there's only one way unto the Father. It is through faith in Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. And oh, my friend, I'm not trying to be closed-minded. I have no desire to be open-minded. I have every desire to be biblically-minded. I just want to say what Jesus says. Jesus says emphatically, I am the gate. Next week, he will emphatically say, I am the good shepherd. It is only through him that anybody can be saved. And the life that he gives is Zoe life. It's over the top. It's better you can ever imagine. It, it, it is greater than, you could, than you've ever experienced before. See, God doesn't just give us some love. He gives us unconditional love. He doesn't just give us some grace. He gives us amazing grace. Not just some mercy, but massive mercy. Not just some hope, but a living hope. Not just some peace, but the peace that passes all understanding. Oh, he gives us eternal life. And all you have to do is just know him personally and follow him passionately. This morning, friend, I'm going to ask you, Do you know the shepherd? Have you trusted this Jesus? If you haven't, today can be the day of your salvation. All you have to do is say, I am a sheep. I'm fragile. I'm vulnerable. I'm not that smart. I'm easily lost. And I need help. And Jesus never turns away a broken and contrite heart. But he will welcome you into his presence and he will call you by name and he will say, I went to the cross for you. I took upon myself all of your sin, all of your shame. It was all on my shoulders and I died on the cross so that you might live. And today, friend, you can enter into that Zoe life. You can enter into that eternal life that only Jesus provides because I just came this morning to tell you that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and mine. His dead, lifeless body was placed into the grave. But on the third day, Jesus got up. Jesus was raised from the dead to give us life, life eternal, life off the charts, life that's beyond necessity. Jesus came to give us living, uh, eternal life in him. All we have to do is just follow him as he takes us through the gate because he says, I am the gate. All we do today 
is we simply say to the shepherd, I'm in need of you. You lead and I'll follow. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. Lord, we give you this invitation, an opportunity for us to respond to the word that has been proclaimed. And Father, if there's someone listening to us, watching us, who does not know you as Savior and Lord, I pray that today they trust that Jesus, that great shepherd, came and died on the cross for them, was raised on the third day to give them eternal life. For all my brothers and sisters, today we just declare, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Now, bless me, Lord, my Savior, for we come to thee. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.